Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We call the primacy of the Word of God, and the subsection that we've been focusing on recently is the prosperity of the soul. Our key scripture in this respect is Second or Third John 2, where John prayed, I wish, beloved, that you prosper in all respects and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Everyone says soul prosperity. So in the Bible, we have this idea of the soul prospering. And euodu, the Greek word for prosperity, is to reach a determined outcome. To embark upon a journey, so you leave a point of, uh, of departure, you arrive at a point of destination, and along the way you receive help or grace from God. It's to reach a logically, uh, or, or to reach a God-determined outcome rather. Right? God has determined the outcome. The outcome for the soul is to be fully restored. This outcome, this destination for the soul to reach is for it to be filled with the life of God, to submit totally to the dictates of your spirit. Your your, your soul, by virtue of sin, dies, but by virtue of the reception of the word of the Lord, it lives. There are umpting scriptures that testify to this fact that soul, hear that you might live. Soul, hear that you might live. The soul lives and is restored to life based upon its access to the hearing of the word of the Lord. And every time, the more this process heightens, the more the soul is restored to its former position. Psalm 116 says, verse 7, Return unto your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. The soul must return to its rest. It's departed from that place called rest. It must go back to that place called rest. And in our previous session, we dealt with the issue of rest. Um, In session 22, right? There's the rest for the soul and all that that entails. Time would not permit me now to rehearse that. But I would encourage you to please rehearse the reading of your notes as well as the listening of the audios. Amen? It's amazing to me, um, Jules has been editing some of the, the teachings in the office, so they are playing. So I'm hearing myself teach from previous sessions. And I, I myself have been so encouraged by what I have said. Because there are some things you say under inspiration that are not in the notes, as, as it were. And God was just reminding me also of a, of a few things. So there is a serious need to rehearse, to listen, and to re-listen. We've been talking about the rest for the soul and the specific aspect of rest that we've been concentrating on recently was peace, right? Now, peace is an integral part of your soul being settled, your soul being at rest. Let me re-emphasize, you are not going to prosper. You are not going to prosper materially, financially, spiritually, mentally, and relationally. Five areas of prosperity. You are not going to prosper in all respects. Third John 2 says, I wish that you prosper in, not just financially, but in all respects. 
total life prosperity hinges upon your soul prospering. He says, I wish that you prosper in all respects as your soul prospers. What I am suggesting to us is that the soul must find a place called rest. And we've dealt with that, some aspects of what constitutes a soul at rest. I think uh, uh, this particular emphasis now is peace. Peace is an essential part of the rest of the soul. Your soul has got to be peaceful. And um, on page two of your notes, if you refer there, what I'm going to do is a cursory review of some of the things we've discussed already, and I want to emphasize some new things. Okay? On page two, I just, in, in the top of page two, understanding peace. I want to reemphasize what we mean by peace because I'm going to keep referring to the term peace, peace in the soul. So whenever time I do, please in your own mind, think of the multifaceted meaning of biblical peace. Peace does not simply imply the absence of strife, anxiety or fear. Peace is the ability to remain at rest in the midst of the most traumatic circumstances. But peace is far more than this. So peace is far more than you're just being able to cope. You're going through hell, but you are still in absolute rest and repose. It is that, but it's much more than that. Right? It's much more than this. Peace is far more than this. It also incorporates, listen, wholeness. Everyone say wholeness. Um, everyone just do this. This is some prophetic action. If you are a whole person, there's no deficiency within you bodily, in your soul, psychologically, or spiritually. You are together. You are whole. It is then said you are at peace. Hmm? Wholeness, stability, equilibrium, composure, well-being, safety, protection, provision. So when I say you're at peace, I'm saying that you have all your needs met. Divine health, you are in divine health. You are in total strength, right? And total life prosperity. Peace, although depicting tranquility. Although it's this tranquil, peaceful, reposeful state. It is also a position of internal wholeness, completeness, composure. Now here's the key. You should underline this. Without proneness. You are not if someone is prone to something, it means you are susceptible to it. It means in that area you easily are tempted or probable to fall. Right? And when I say you're at peace, I'm saying the proneness to be, the following, unsettled or unseated is gone. Indicating a quiet but bold confidence and tremendous military might in, in God. So I'm not prone to be unseated, unsettled. But when I'm peace, yes, I'm the most tranquil, reposeful person. But don't underestimate my tranquility for weakness. Peace is not weakness. I ended up by saying it's a position of tremendous might and strength in the Lord. So he who is peaceful is a strong person. Hmm? Often you think when the guy flexes his muscles, he's warlike, he's full of strife. He wants to express his view. He's loud, almost like a braggart. 
And you think, oh, that person's strong and confident. Not necessarily. That's the worldly perception of what it is, for example, to be overly confident. Hmm? We, you know, peace is an inner quiet confidence. The peaceful person knows who he is in God and does not need to be dramatic to express it. He simply walks in quiet composure, knowing he's got power and strength in the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. So tell your neighbor you are powerfully peaceful. And tell him you are peacefully powerful. Amen? You know what the Bible even says? It says, a soft answer will turn away wrong. Sometimes you think you must shout and scream to get your point. Sometimes you say it in quietness, but in quiet authority, and it dispels the opposition. Amen? A soft answer turns away wrath. Tell your neighbor, practice speaking softly. (laughs) It's a soft answer that turns away wrath. You don't have to be loud to get your point across. You need to be peaceful to get your point across. You need to be powerfully peaceful to get your point across. On page 2, peace is an expression of rest. We've dealt with this, but I just, I just want to emphasize the point further. Solomon's name means rest. Not so, right? Solomon's name means rest, and he was chosen by David, or by God through David, to build the temple the design of which was given to David. So, um, I'm going to read the portion for emphasis, and I want you to note a few things. This is First Chronicles 22 from verse 6. Then he called his, for his son Solomon. This is David. David calls for Solomon, and David says to Solomon, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, Now, the emphasis here is my son. You should underline that if you have a pen. My son, I have intended to build a house to the name of the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed too much blood. You have waged great wars. You will not build me a house to my name because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, a son will be born to you, who will be a man of rest. What was Solomon a man of? Rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side, for his name shall be Solomon. And the word Solomon means peace, peaceable, or peaceableness. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in all his days. So we, we all can conclude Solomon was a man of peace, And Solomon was a man of rest. So God says to David, you're not permitted to build me a house. Why? Your life has been too bloody. You've been involved in too much strife, in too much wars. Right? This temple, while, listen carefully, you got the blueprints for it. David had the plans, not so? David had the the, the architectural plans for the design and, and, and the whole weight and size of the building was given to David. But he was not permitted to put his hands to erect it. But he transferred that to his son, peace. He transferred that to his son, rest. He transferred that to one who was peaceable. God says to Solomon, you will build this 
And when you, listen carefully, because names in Scripture are not given to identify persons, but to describe character or point to destiny. So when rest stands up, I use the term consciously, when peace stands up, God says, because you embody the principle of peace, you are qualified to build me something in the earth. You build nothing of significance for God if you are a person of war and strife. Stop fighting is the best way I can appeal to you. I want to encourage us all, if we're going to build any house for God of significance, you've got to be people of rest. You've got to be people of, of, of peace. Tell your neighbor, stop fighting. Just, just don't have any issues. If there are issues, resolve them quickly and live. I'm practicing this. Live in this culture called peace and rest. Because God says, for then you will be qualified to build me a house in the earth. David was rendered ineligible to do this simply by virtue of the amount of wars and the strife that he had encountered. On page 3, verse 10, He shall build me a house for my name. And I like what it says here. He shall be my son. Remember David said to Solomon earlier, My son. And now God is saying to David concerning Solomon, He shall be my son. So whose son is he? He's David's son, but he's God's son. David's the spiritual father, but God is the heavenly father. What do spiritual fathers do? Spiritual fathers form the nature of Christ in you, so that ultimately the heavenly father can say, no, not your son, my son. Right? Joseph was Jesus' spiritual father, but when he submitted himself at the Jordan to baptism, the heavens opened, and what did the heavenly father say? This is my son. So if you're my spirit, if I'm your spiritual father, and you're my spiritual son in the Lord. I have stewardship or custody over you. But I'm, I, I, I'm not permitted to own you. Neither do I have a right to be so territorial over you that I, I become manipulative and dictatorial governing your life. Right? Spiritual fathering in some sectors have swung to that extreme. Now that is demonic and it's un and it's ungodly. We're just here to guide, we're here to steward, and our ultimate is to form the nature of Christ within you so forcefully that the Heavenly Father, listen carefully, can look to you as sons and say, you sons, with the nature of Christ, you will build something for my glory in the earth. Tell your neighbor, sons, build a house. What is son? The Hebrew ben is a builder. Literally, the word means a builder of the family name. If you are son, you are a builder and you're not a breaker. Amen? Sons build the house. But for you to build, you must qualify yourself as a person of great peace and, and rest. Can I ask you a question? What was the content of your conversations this past week about individuals? Are you embroiled in conversations that leave a bad taste, aftertaste in your mouth? Hmm? I want to encourage you. Don't go down that route. Maintain your composure. Maintain your, your peace. Amen. Be at rest. Be at rest. Verse 11. Now, my son, the Lord be with you that you may be, might be successful. The word successful here 
as you put, as I wrote in your side notes towards the bottom, is the word salak, saliak, um, for, that's the verb, but to the prosperity salasalia that we discussed, right, means to break through, to push forward, to surmount, to get headway or to succeed, right? In the King James, it's literally translated prosperity. Think about this. So David's saying to Solomon, I'm disqualified, man of strife, man of war. You are qualified, man of peace. So he says to him, the Lord be with you, my son, and may you have prosperity. Can, can you see the link between peace and prosperity? Right? Peace and prosperity. And build a house to the Lord just as he has spoken concerning you. Only. Everyone say only. In, the, in other words, this is not going to be automatic, Solomon. You're qualified by your character. You're qualified by your positioning. Listen carefully. I'm going to say it again. I'm just paraphrasing what David perhaps would have said to him. Solomon, you're qualified by who you are. You're a man of rest. You're qualified by who you are. You're a man of peace. You're even qualified by your positioning. You're my son. You're in the most ideal position to do the job, but only. Everyone say only. In other words, he's about to say, please, my son, don't mess it up. He's saying, I beg of you only. Right? You've got all the makings to do this. He says, only the Lord give you discretion, wisdom. Wisdom is translated um, discretion in this passage. And understanding. And I like this, and give you charge over Israel. In your notes there on the second dot, I wrote the word charged is the Hebrew savah, which means literally to enjoin yourself and be committed to the task. Be at one with the task of building the house. Don't stand apart from it. My son, the Lord has called you to build a house for his name. So listen carefully. Solomon, here's you. Here's the house. Enjoin yourself. Attach yourself. Become one with the task that God has called you to do. I don't know, but I just sensed prophetically as I, I was just editing these notes yesterday afternoon. And the Lord, when I read this passage, the Lord says, stress to the house about becoming one with the task of building the house. Don't stand apart from it. Uh, and I really believe this particular group, you're more than qualified. Because I know many of you, you are very peaceable. You are peaceful. You're men of peace, not men of strife. You're men of, of, of rest, not men of war and, and women. And I want to encourage you, you're qualified. You're positioned in that you have a spiritual father, you're spiritual sons. You're qualified to build something of significance in God. Hmm? Do you believe that? So my challenge to you, become enjoined. I charge you. I charge you like David charged Solomon. I charge you, I savour you, become enjoined to the task. Don't forever, some of you are getting old. How long are you going to defer this and stand aloof from the task of building something for God in the earth that's going to count? That's going to count, right? God is fine-tuning the expressions of our energy because we can be busy with much, but the things we build in the earth must mirror what God is building in the heavens. Otherwise, we engage in the earth, fruitless, vain activity, counting for nothing. Amen? So tell your neighbor, be enjoined to building. 
I would even say like this, come on board. Come on board and let's build something for God in the earth. A house in and through which He can infiltrate the nations of the earth. Amen? And then, you know what the Lord said? What God says to David, to Solomon, only the Lord gave you discretion and understanding and charge you, right? So that you might keep the Lord. That's obedience. And verse 13 again, he says, then you will prosper. Same word is used. If you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord God commanded Moses concerning Israel, be strong and be courageous. Do not fear or do not be dismayed. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Amen? This is not a season for fear and for the lack of courage, for being discouraged. This is a season for great courage. Tell you never have the courage. courage. I want to encourage you. The opposite of courage, obviously, is discourage. So discouragement means feeble. So when you discourage, you're immobile. You, you don't attach yourself to the task. Right? Moses has mentioned yet. David is reminding his son, everything you do is going to be expression of promises and prophecies and commandments given even as far back as Moses. So you, what you do in time is not detached from God's eternal plans. Amen? What you do in time is not detached from the prophetic registry from which we hail. What you do in time is not your own thing, but it bears reference to fleshing out what God promised through our forefathers years before. Amen? And I feel so good that recently we've changed the name of the ministry to Gate Ministries. What was that? A dying to our own vision. Our identity has changed from eternal sound to Gate Ministries. What was that? Dying to our own vision, embracing the identity and the mission of that of our spiritual father. So we're not some loose limb doing our own thing somewhere. Everything, we have a context. Okay? We can point back to our activities now are legitimate, more legitimate than ever before because they are expressions of a prophetic burden in the heart of a forefather. Amen? These qualify men of peace. These principles qualify men of peace to build the house of the Lord. Amen? Just turn over the page quickly. This is just like I'm scattering seed this morning. I'm not teaching line upon line as it were. I'm just throwing out principles, reminding you. I like the term that uh, um, Rose used. This is pressing the refresh button. Zip. You know when you refresh your PC? Okay. This is like rehearsal. Amen? A rehearsal. Peace and prosperity. I'm not going to go through with the Greek and the Greek, uh, sorry, the Hebrew words there. You can read it in your own time. I want to just allude to Psalm 122. It's, re, it's recorded there on the top of page 4. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And verse 7 is key. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends. Uh, Thalmo did an excellent teaching on friendship at, at the school, right? Uh, I'll email the notes to you by Tuesday next week. They're almost done. We've been working feverishly this week trying to get the notes finished, right? Uh, tell your neighbor you're my friend. 
You're my brother, you're my sister, you're my friend. And this verse says, For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now, now say, May peace be within you. For the sake of the house of, of, of our God, I will seek your good. But focus on verse 7. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. Now picture the scene. I wasn't going to draw it on the board yet, but um, we need to buy more paper for that. Think of a palace surrounded and protected by walls. And my encouragement to you, before you build your palace, erect your walls. Not only erect the walls, but consolidate them, make them strong. If you have a palace, it must be protected. In In ancient times, palaces and even whole cities were protected by fortress, high walls, ramparts, watchtowers on the walls, with sentinels spying out for the uh, attack of an enemy that would want to um, penetrate and impoverish the palace, almost take it over. And I heard the Lord saying this to me in my spirit, almost like consistently throughout the day. Erect your walls and strengthen your walls. Erect your walls and strengthen your walls. Erect your walls and strengthen your walls. Don't focus so much on the palace. Focus much on the, on the walls. Right? Because the, this psalm says, May peace be within your walls and prosperity be within your palaces. Many people are after the prosperity, but not after the peace. If walls surround the palaces, and if palaces are depictive of prosperity, what protects your prosperity? Your, your peace. Okay? In fact, if I were building a palace, I wouldn't start with the palace, I would start with the wall. To ensure that I am in, impregnable by the enemy, cannot penetrate, cannot attack. And while I, my walls are erected and are strong, I will then position myself to erect my palace, knowing that every stage of my building of my prosperity will be protected by my position of peace. Now you've got to imagine. Close your eyes. Now don't go to sleep. Just imagine like a palatial palace. Powerfully prosperous. Dripping with gold. Palace of a king. Right? And now envision the high walls of protection around that fort, around that. That, that, that prosperous palace. Envision that in your heart. Open your eyes. The Bible doesn't speak in language so picturesque to us, so dramatic, simply to fill the pages. God is deliberately calling us to see it. God is saying, what's going to protect your multifaceted prosperity is your position of peace. In fact, on, on Wednesday's study, I'll show you the connection far more between peace and prosperity. But I can't get away from this. And so I just thought of some statements to get the point home. Look at um, Jeremiah 33 on your notes. Let's look at Psalm 37, verse 37. The ESV says, Mark the blameless man and behold the upright. For the future of the man, there is a future for the man of peace. I like that statement. If you are a man of peace, you have a future. Who would like a future? 
right? God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. If you want a prosperous future, you must be a man of peace. Mock. Everyone say mock. Mock the blameless man. In other words, note this man, focus on this man, mock him, because this man of peace has a future. I, I can, the corollary, the, the, the opposite is, the man of war, the man of strife, the man of tension, the man of rivalry, always feuds in relationship, that man does not have a future. But a man of peace has a future. Do you know what I am bold about and confident about my future? Do you know all will go well with Randolph Barnwell? Do you know why I know? Because I'm a man of peace. Right? Do you know why I know I'll live a long time in the earth? Because I honor my spiritual father. It's, a, it's, a, it's honor your father. You'll be well with you. live a long time. I stand it. The Bible says that. I do it. I believe it. I know it's going to be well with me. Because my surname is Barnwell. <laughs> Amen? Tell your neighbor you have a future. I, you know, I, please, I don't want this just to be notes and principles. You must live this stuff. Live this stuff. Become a person. In your workplace, you must be known as the peacemaker, not the peacebreaker. When you, they see you, um, they, they, they see Clinton, there comes a lawyer of peace. If there's such a concept. <laughs> when they see Gregory, here comes the man of peace. I see Fiona, a lady of peace. That man, mock the blameless person of righteousness. Mock him. That man has a future. Hmm? That man has a future. And look at this. Um, in the NASB, the same verse, the latter part. For the man of peace will have a posterity. Right? A future. Jeremiah 33 verse 6. Listen carefully. Behold, I will bring it health and healing, and I will heal them, and I will reveal to them an abundance of peace and truth. Notice, an abundance of what? Not just peace, an abundance of peace. And when you have an abundance of peace, the next verse kicks in. I will restore your fortunes. Can you see the link? You have an abundance of peace, I will restore your fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel, and I will rebuild them as they were at first. God does not restore fortunes until He restores peace. Because He knows, I can't give you the prosperity if I haven't given you the peace, because peace is the walls. Prosperity is your palace, but peace is the thing that protects your walls. And I thought of these phrases just yesterday to try and... Um, Hit the point home. Just look at the challenge before we do this. Only focus on building your palace, prosperity, once your walls, peace, have been erected and are strong and impenetrable. Peace protects prosperity and sure ensures its sustainability, longevity, and perpetuity. I mean, who does not want to be prosperous? Pick your hand up. If you don't want to be prosperous, we'll pray for you that your desire changes. <laughs> okay? There's no sane person that does not want total life prosperity. I'm not talking just about financial. I'm talking spiritual, mental, relational, etc. 
Who does not want to be prosperous? Hey? Anybody? If I give you a key and the door is locked and say, this key will open that door, beyond that door, there is untold blessings. Would, and let's say, and you look at me, give the person the key to open the door that's going to open the door of great breakthrough for him. And the person has the key and discards it. What will you think of that person? There's something seriously wrong with you. The person just gave you a key that's going to change your life forever. You have to be seriously, mentally challenged. I wasn't say the other word, but I won't. You've got to be seriously mentally challenged not to use the key. It sounds like a simple thing I'm saying to you, that the key to your prosperity is your peace. One of the keys, at least. Sounds very simple, but I'm saying just put it in and try it and see what happens in your life. Try for the next month to live the most peaceful existence you know. Avoid arguments, avoid strife, avoid talking negatively about anyone. Let your speech be perfect. Let your speech be a reflection of the love in your heart. Try it and see. When God from the heavens looks at you, God will say, check Jude. He's erecting a wall of peace. I am now ready to build his palace. Because once God sees peace erected, God will build your palace of prosperity. So look at the following. I'll try to use peace for peace and prosperity. Peace is preparatory to prosperity. Peace is prerequisite for prosperity. Peace is the precursor to prosperity. Peace is the pre-qualification for prosperity. Peace is prosperity's price. Peace procures prosperity. Peace prefigures prosperity. Peace possesses prosperity. Peace presides over prosperity. Peace protects prosperity. Peace perpetuates prosperity. Peace propels prosperity. Peace promotes prosperity. Peace prolongs prosperity. Peace positions people for prosperity. Peace is prosperity's profile. Peace is the pulse of prosperity. Peace pursued procures prosperity. So you must pay for peace and prosperity. At the top of page 5, True biblical divine prosperity has divine peace at its core. Would like prosperity. Work on your wall. Tell your neighbor, erect your wall. Erect your wall. Peace. You know, to be peaceful, you're going to be, you're going to love life. You will look forward to the next day. And things will go well with you. I mean, who, even in amongst my husband and wife, if you allow the sun to go down on your wrath, and you sleep on opposite ends of your bed with your backs facing toward each other. Who gets up the next day and you're looking forward to the next day? Right? Your whole life is missed when your peace is compromised. Right? But when you live a peace, when you live in peace, you are living in power. Hmm? There's nothing you can you, you can you feel literally unstoppable. Right? If in a marriage context there's absolute harmony. And peace, and not only in marriage, 
in all of your relationships, erect, erect your walls. Amen? And then on page 5, um, I've, I've labored this point, but I just want to draw a reference to it briefly. Peace incorporates a position of inner quietness and strong confidence. Isaiah 32 verse 17 says, The work of righteousness will be peace. The service of righteousness, quietness and confidence. Then my people will have a peaceful habitation and secure dwellings in undisturbed resting places. Now look at verse 17. The work of righteousness is peace. That simply means the fruit of righteousness is peace. In other words, you can't have peace if you don't have righteousness. Let me ask you, what is the kingdom? Romans 14, 17. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Let me just say this. If you claim kingdom and you don't have strong peace, not kingdom. Because the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. I mean, amongst all the things that the apostle could have used to describe God's kingdom, he puts peace, listen carefully where he puts it, he puts peace in the center of righteousness and joy. It's like peace is the, 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 the hub, the fulcrum, the spoke in the wheel, not the spoke, what do you call it, the hub, in the wheel that holds all things together. Let me explain. While peace also is an outflow of righteousness, you've got to be righteous to have peace. Peace is the result of righteousness and the basis of joy. Think about it. Can you be joyful without peace? Not really. Eh? The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the, the Holy Spirit. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the service, listen carefully, of righteousness, quietness, and confidence. So, listen carefully. The service of righteousness is quietness and confidence. In other words, if you have quietness and confidence, that is clear, unmistakable evidence of peace's presence or the presence of peace. Right? Quietness and confidence. Quietness not as in volume. Quietness as in a, a raw inner internal confidence. Right? Quietness and confidence. All are outworkings of the fact that you are righteous. Think about it when your righteousness is compromised. Let's say you do something where your integrity is compromised and you do something unrighteously, an act, or even an attitude, a thought process. You know that your peace is compromised also. right? Your conscience will convict you and you will not be whole and altogether in body, soul, mind, and spirit. Right? But the moment your righteousness is maintained, your peace is ensured and your joy is guaranteed. Right? No joy without righteousness. And peace is in the middle of these two things, I believe, holding them together. Amen? Now, look at this. I won't have time for it. Um, verse 18 says, just quickly, but I'll talk more about this on Wednesday. If verse 17 is in place, verse 18 will result. Verse 18 talks about, my people will live in a peaceful habitation 
and secure dwellings of undisturbed resting places. That's a powerful depiction, eh? Who'd like that for your home? Right? Who'd like that description for your house? You say, my house is a peaceful habitation. Um, my rest is undisturbed. It's secure. Right? Verse 17 talks about internal peace. Verse 18 talks about outward peace. Verse 17 talks about the inner state. Verse 18, the habitation, the dwelling place, talks about the environment. Simple. If you as a person imbibe and embody peace, it will be manifest in your home, in your workplace, in every environment that you touch. The, the, the surrounds will be known as one of peace, security, and undisturbed rest. Wouldn't you want your kids to grow up in an environment like that? Hmm? Wouldn't you want? Your family. How is your home? Is your home a peaceful habitation? Is your home a secure dwelling? Is your home a place of undisturbed resting place? Your environment, your habitation will only be peaceful when you yourself embody peace. And you embody peace by the work of righteousness. The outcome will be righteousness expressed in quietness and in confidence. Raw confidence and trust in God. In quietness and trust. Remember that, that song we sing? Right? In quietness and trust. And I want to encourage us all. Please don't miss out on Wednesday. Study. Because on Wednesday I'm going to focus on Zechariah 8 verse 12. The Lord says, I will give you peace for the seed. I'm going to talk about the, this first. It will be our main spin-off about the culture and the environment of peace in which seed is sown. God says he'll give you peace for the seed. Everyone say peace for the seed. Please go before we get there. Write the scripture on Zechariah 8.12 and meditate upon it. But we'll decode it and I really believe God will have something powerful to say to us. Some of your seeds, let me, let me be blunt. Some of your seeds aren't coming to harvest because the environment is not one of peace. God says, make sure the environment is peaceful so that every expression of seed sown will give you the God-intended harvest that you desire. Amen? Peaceful habitation. Turn over quickly. We're going to fly. I'm not going to go through all this now, so please be at rest. Some of you think we're going to be a long time. <laughs> okay. Now, these are for your own reading when you get home. We've dealt with most, with, with most um, of, of these issues. Amen. Let's go to page 7. But before, don't read anything there. Um, just to amplify the point I've just made. Environment does not determine you. You determine environment. Don't say, Randolph, I can't be at peace because my environment is not at peace. No, I'm saying to you, you start to embody the peace principle and see how your environment changes. Hmm? You become the, you configure your environment by what and how you are. This is the power of the grace that is resident here this morning. You condition your environment. You are not a product of your environment. Your environment should be a manifestation of who you are. Amen? And so your habitation will be peace 
people when you embody the principle of the principle of of peace amen now just just quickly on page the bottom of page 7 bottom of page 7 peace implies the absence of confusion and disorder not so good and proper order facilitate peace the verse is 1 Corinthians 14:33 God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints Paul is writing that, and he, he puts confusion and disorder as that which is opposite to peace. So then, if you claim to be peace, to have peace and to be peaceful, in your life, what are we going to see? The absence of confusion? We're going to see order. Everyone say order. Let me just say this to you. Follow God's order. Follow God's way of doing things. Follow God's principles and you will have peace in your life. But even on a secular, practical, natural level, if you simply employ good principles of good, sound management, effective planning, right? effective organization and control, you will come to a place where your life will be more peaceful than what it is. Let me give you a revelation. Some of you are not at peace because your life is disordered. I must just come to your room and see how your cupboards are. Then I know this person is not at peace. Okay. I can just come to maybe your desk at work. I say, no, there's definitely no peace here. This desk looks like a comorse. Right? Right? I must look at your diary and say, no. This person's too busy. Everyone say plan. Organize. Manage. Say control. Now, listen carefully. If you simply plan properly, let me just say, what I'm talking about is not entirely spiritual. There are some natural, practical things you can bring to your life where you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, I'm far more at rest now, peaceful, than I was yesterday. Simply because I've learned to order my world properly. I'm a person of protocol and, and, and order, right? And just the observation of good management, good organization can lead to the expulsion of confusion and disorder. Amen? So tidy your wardrobe. Tidy your desk. Plan properly, right? Engage in proper financial planning so that when you are retiring, you won't be in Unrest. Simple things you can do to bring yourself into rest. Okay? Because the Bible says, because God is not the author of confusion. Next time you open your wardrobe and you see confusion, say, God's not the author of this. I am. Okay? Right? Just bring some, some order. Put things in their proper place. Some people, you ask them to retrieve something, they don't know where it is. Hmm? Plan. Good and proper order. Quickly, quickly. We're going to rush through because of, of, of time. Go to page 9 is where we want to focus on. And probably finish here on page 9. We've dealt with most of the other principles in the other pages. So I didn't go through them. I really felt the need to stress this today. Colossians 3.15 has always been a favorite portion of mine since my youth. And it says simply... 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called into one body, and be thankful. Lovely portion of scripture. Let the peace of Christ rule. I want to talk to you about ruling peace briefly. Peace must rule, right? The word rule is the Greek, brabrio. Let the peace of God, brabrio. Brabrio means an ob, to arbitrate, an arbiter, literally, to arbitrate, to govern or to prevail. So if we reread that scripture, we should read it like this. Let the peace of God be the arbitrator in your heart. Let the peace of God prevail in your heart. Let the peace of Christ be the governor. Govern your heart. What must rule your heart? You want to say peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule and govern your heart. Now, brabrio means arbitrator. What do arbitrators do in life, generally? Yeah, with us. They settle disputes most times, eh? That's basically the definition of one who arbitrates. So there's a contest, um, a contestation, conflict, posing views. The arbitrator comes into what is, is essentially a man of peace, right? He is not subjective. He's very objective, or at least should be. But he is, he is, is governed by certain principles and protocols. Um, he's committed to justice, equity, fairness, etc. And he will come in to settle the disputes. And for a large majority of the time, his aim is to bring peaceful settlements. Right? Another word for arbitrator in our language is referee. Right? You love sports? Hmm? What, is, what do refs in matches do? Sporting games. What is their role? Their role is to basically keep order. Their role is essentially to ensure that everybody plays by the rules of the game. And where there is gray areas as to how the rules of the game must be interpreted and applied in a particular contest, he steps in to give his judgment on the issue. And he's so empowered, nobody else, no official on the ground, no president in a country can override that decision. Not even Jacob Zuma. <laughs> if that ref said the ball was out, the whole team says the ball was in. Jacob Zuma phones him while he's on the pitch. I saw it. Hey, you're wrong. He says, I've made my decision. Thank you very much. What I'm trying to impress upon you, Albert Brabrio, everyone say Brabrio. Brabrio in this context is a position where you in. You enforce such authority and you determine the legality or the illegality of an action or a thought pattern. You determine it. Right? So what must be the ref in your heart? Say it with me. Peace of Christ. Tell your neighbor the peace of Christ is my referee. <laughs> so next time you are assailed with bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, tensions in relationships, etc. A whole host of things come into your game on, the, on, 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 on the, the, the pitch of the landscape of your heart and your life. You just call upon the ref and say, ref, make your decision. Ref is peace. Peace comes and say, and let, let, me say let me put it like this. The decisions that the 
the arbitrator, the governor, the prevailer, the referee. His name is peace. Every decision he makes will, will be one that ensures peace prevails. In other words, let nothing erode your peace. Next time what happens? Next time. And I guarantee you, there will be a next time. Rita? <laughs> next time what happens? All you must do is, if I do, I say, Lord, there's a potentially explosive situation that I'm involved in. My actions are going to determine much whether this thing will really blow itself further or whether your solution is going to be brought to bear upon the situation. I am going to allow you, referee, to determine my actions in this. I will allow you peace of God. Because peace of God is not just an emotion. Peace is a person. It's the peace of Christ. I will defer to no matter how I feel, because I have my view. The ball is in, the ball is out. No matter how I feel about the rightness or the wrongness of issues, I will allow you, my peace, to literally be the ref and so configure my actions so that any response I adopt will always facilitate the peace of God. In that way, I ensure peace rules. That's my new catchphrase. Peace rules. Say with me, peace rules. And rule is rule. Let the peace of God govern. Let it be like an, a sovereign a king, uncontestable, a ref, an arbitrator. Let it be the governor. Let me just say this, because even you cannot trust your own view, you have to defer to his. It's about, I submit, I adopt your principle, and I'll ensure you will be the ruler. Your peace will literally govern my life. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. But now, before we close, five minutes I'll take, then we'll stop. I want to read to you the preceding verses and the verses that follow this verse. And see how where this verse is located in terms of its context. And you'll really see what Paul is trying to say. Let's read it together. It's the bottom of page 9. So Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Right, verse 15 is in the middle of all of this. So let's start from verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved... Put on a heart, notice, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Now, tell your neighbor, that just canceled all your complaints. Tell him that just canceled all your complaints. Because some of you are saying, I have a right. I can hear this in my spirit. Some of you are saying, I have a legitimate complaint. I have a, I have a right. You have your view. You're a player on the field. You think the ball is in. The ref says, no, it's out. Hmm? And I'm saying, defer your opinion to the ref, the peace of God. So let's read it again slowly. I love this uh, 13. So bearing with one another, forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Hmm? Beyond all these things. It's like, never mind that. Just focus on this. Beyond all of these things, 
put on love, which is the bond of unity or oneness. The Greek for oneness here is henetos. For unity here is henetos, which literally means oneness. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of oneness or unity. Let the peace of God be the umpire in your hearts. Let the peace of God be the ref in your hearts. Let the peace of God be the, the arbitrator in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. Notice, listen carefully. If you are playing soccer, your scenario is the soccer field. This umpire's scenario is what? The body. This peaceful ref, he's, he has oversight over aspects of relationships in the body. And this peaceful ref must be the ruler in your heart. One body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. With all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, etc. Singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever in word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto His name. Can you see the context? The context is... Preserving the oneness in the body. The, to preserve the oneness in the body, the peace of God must rule. You know why? Let me just say this. And when you get the notes by Tuesday, you'll get the whole summation of the Apostolic School of Ministry. Thamo stressed oneness and relationships at the last school. And he said this to us. You are going to rule nothing if you don't rule relationships. You are going to govern nothing unless you master your relationships. Men of peace get palaces of prosperity. God will look upon us. Let me just say this. Unless I, I, I beg of all of you, I appeal to all of us from the bottom of my heart. Master all of your relationships. Be at peace with everyone as far as you can help it. Do not be vengeful, but be forgiving. Show tolerance. Be patient. He says, bear with one another in humility. Even if you have a complaint, you have a legitimate complaint, but he quickly says, you opt to operate in forgiveness. And do so quickly because even the Lord, he says, has forgiven, has forgiven you. And let the umpire, in a tennis match, there's an umpire, an arbitrator, a ref. He says, let, you know, the literal Greek interpretation of Brabrio is to sit as umpire. Tell you that peace is my umpire. Peace. You know, this is helping me so much. You know, I'm not so much given to deep revelation anymore. Because sometimes we make the scriptures too complex, even by our revelation. Here's a simple truth. When you function in life, be the man of peace. Mark that man. That man has a future. When you function in life, let peace be. In fact, when you allow, and this is a prophecy for many of you, when you allow the peace of God to be your umpire, what you're going to see yourself being the umpire in context where there is strife. God will position you as a peacemaker and a reconciler of men.
you're going to be that, that principle that God looks for as he, as he looks for men on the earth to be his agents. Look on page 10, quickly. The New Living Translation says this. In the middle there, the New Living Translation says, Let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. That's powerful, eh? And always be thankful. Now, on another level, let me just say this. You must first focus on your internal peace and then on your relational peace. You must be peaceful within yourself and then relationally. But because the Bible says, let the peace of God rule where? Not in your mind, but rule in your, in your heart. I cross-reference this just for your, for your benefit quickly. John 14, 27 says the following. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. And immediately says, let not your heart be troubled. So where's the destination of peace? Peace must, peace must rule your, your heart. It says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be filled with fear. But the peace of God must be the prevailing factor there. John 16, 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage because I have over, I have overcome the world. So I want to encourage you to be peaceful and to be at peace. Quickly, page 15 at the bottom. One last principle. This they call one for the road. <laughs> the bottom of page 15. We've dealt with the other principles already, so that's just for your reading. Can I ask you to please read these notes? Rehearse and meditate the principles. You should be doing it on an ongoing basis. Amen? That's why we print them for you, and they're also emailed to you, so that you have a means of rehearsing the truth. Rehearsing the truth. Amen? Um, right at the bottom, Philippians 6. Philippians 4, 6. So I want to encourage you not to be anxious. I want to bless you with a good sleep. I just feel I want to pray for you people to have a good sleep. Who would like a good sleep tonight? You know what? Okay, before I get there, let me just read this. Before I get there, let me just read this. Do you know what? I slept. When was it? Friday night. Friday night, I slept at half past six. And I got up six, half past six the next day. And I was, I was gone. It was like I was really enjoying myself. The Lord knew I needed it. <laughs> it was quite a hectic past three weeks. But I wasn't just tired. You know, sometimes you, you, you get to a point where you've overdone things and you sleep like, like dead, dead, dead. Right? It wasn't that kind of, I was like dead, dead, dead a bit. But I was really like, this is nice. Right? Tell you never sleep is a gift from God. But now, listen, no, please don't misunderstand me. Don't now go overdo it and let your sleep be an expression of your laziness. Right? Go to the end, thou sluggard. You know that, that proverb, right? A little slumber. It's a little slumber, a little folding of the arms, and you come to poverty if you're not a man of industry. I'm not saying that. I'm saying Psalm 127 says, uh, he gives to his beloved in his sleep. So sleep is a place of... He doesn't give his beloved sleep. That's the wrong 
translation. The NASB says, He gives to His beloved in His sleep. So while you sleep, your sleep is a place of wonderful divine reception. So I was just experiencing a massive download. God says, I'm going to knock this man out because I need to fill his spirit with some, with some stuff. Amen? Hallelujah. So next time you say, I'm going to sleep, tell your, your, your people in your home, I'm going to receive. Because <laughs> he gives to his beloved in his sleep. I'm going to position myself in a mode of reception before the Lord. My new statement is, I'm going to lay before the Lord. <laughs> okay. Lie or lay before the Lord. In fact, let's just go there. Can we just go there? You can read this on your own. No anxiety. Let me just read the scripture, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. So is, is anybody now permitted to worry? No more worrying, eh? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it says, and the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will what? Will God your heart with rules and it will also keep your mind right will keep your mind finally my brethren whatever is true honorable right pure lovely good report if there's any excellence anything worthy of praise dwell on these things and the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the god of peace will be with you amen You know what the peace of God will guard your heart. It doesn't just rule your heart. It guards it. And you'll see the the Greek on the next page. uh, It indicates a watcher to guard as a sentinel, to protect as a garrison. Can you see the image of a wall? Right? The, The peace is always positioned as a protective garrison around our hearts and our and our minds. So, but you know what the Bible says? Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Next time you're faced with need, submit your request to the Lord by prayer with thanksgiving. Be thankful, right? Be thankful, and the Bible says in that economy, the peace of God is going to form a protective garrison around your heart and your mind. Amen? And this will will keep you um, in the Lord, okay? Now, go to page 17. I want to quote, just finish off by quoting to you several Peace scriptures, sleep scriptures. Hope you don't sleep while I quote these. You, some of you catch the anointing so quickly that you're manifesting the word already. <laughs> okay. Please, that mustn't happen now. Amen. What's the best form of rest? Sleep, eh? Sleep. And I'm beginning to appreciate more the divine view on sleep. Okay. Okay, I won't, time won't permit me to comment on these scriptures. Let me just quote them. I need to quote them because I'm quoting the power of the Word of God to you. Right? I declare to all of you, you're going to have peaceful sleeps for the rest of your life, no matter what you're going through. When you put your head on that pillow, right? even if you are in the most severest of trials and difficulty, that domain of your life is going to be consecrated to the Lord your God. It will be a place of powerful reception from the Lord. Amen? Amen? Just high five someone and say, happy sleeps. Happy sleeps. Happy sleeps. You know why? Listen. I, I, I want to be a man of total peace. And one of the ways, one of the diagnos- diagnoses of the absence of sleep, of peace, 
is no sleep. You become restless and things worry and assail your mind. Right? So I'm, I'm, I just want to pray over us that God gives us good sleep. Quickly, Psalm 4.8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Next page, Job 17. Job 11.17. You will lie down and no one will make you afraid. Many will court your favor. How's that? Look at Psalm 3. It's a special psalm written by David. And notice it was written in the time when Absalom, his beautiful son, handsome in appearance, rebelled against him and organized a great coup against his father. His father ran away from him, feared for his life. And in that context, listen, who'd like that kind of trouble? And in that context, David writes this. David says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Referring to his own son. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. How many have said that about you? This guy is finished. He got no help. Right? This family is finished. This is the end of his or her road. But, everyone say but. But you, O Lord, are shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. Think about that. I love this. I summer laid down and I slept. How's that? David said, in the midst of this great fear for my life, I laid down and I slept. I awoke again because the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from whence my help comes. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Imagine, God never sleeps. So while you're sleeping, he's focused on watching over you. He's the greatest alarm system you can have. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard you. Coming in and you're going out. Amen? Going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Proverbs 3.21 My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So that they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. And then you will walk your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Find a neighbor and tell them, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. I love the second part. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Confess next time to your spot, honey. I'm going to lay before the Lord. I'm going to receive. I'm going to have some sweet sleep. Hmm? Well, some of us sleep, but we have nightmares when we sleep. <laughs> we, we sleep, but we wake up more tired than when we, when we went to bed. Our sleep has been so troubled. And so um, the proverb says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Your sleep will be sweet. I love this. For the Lord will be a confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Proverbs 6.20 My son, keep your father's in commandment. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. 
When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. That sleeping with meditatively the words of the Lord ringing in your heart and in your mind. So when you lie down, when you're awake, they're still talking with you. Have you ever had that experience where God speaks to you throughout the night? And you wake up with such profound thoughts. You lie down, they were with you. I woke up, he's still talking with me. Do you know, it's only your conscious mind, your body that goes off. But your spirit does not need sleep. Your spirit doesn't need to be to sleep. It's only your body that needs rest. So literally your spirit is very active and is awake. Last one, page 19. Jeremiah 31, 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Once again they will speak this word to the land of Judah and in the cities when I restore their fortunes, prosperity. The Lord bless you, O abode of righteousness, O holy hill. Judah and all its cities will dwell in it. The farmer and they who go about with flocks. For I satisfy the weary ones and I refresh everyone who languishes. At this I awoke and looked and my sleep was pleasant. This is like a prophecy of tremendous hope and restoration being given to the writer. And he says, at this I awoke and my sleep was pleasant. I submit to us. Let me just, I don't believe I'm quoting these scriptures just because they are referencing sleep. I really believe. Trust God from this point onwards that your sleep is going to take on divine order. I speak divine order to your sleep. Your sleep should be a place of powerful reception from the Lord. You, you're going to hear the speakings of the Lord like you've never heard before. And your testimony will also be, when I awoke, it was pleasant at this thought. My sleep was pleasant to me when I awoke. I want to just quote to you the, the, the portion there uh, from 1 Samuel 25, 6. This is what David said to Nabal when he met him. This is from the NLT. It says, peace and prosperity to you to your family, and to everything you own. Stand with me and lift up your hands before the Lord. Lift up your hands to the Lord. David Psalm 3 is so powerful in the context of serious personal crisis. I lay me down and I slept. I awoke because the Lord Sustain me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 peoples who set themselves against me round about. Psalm 127, we didn't read it, but it says, verse 2, It is vain for you to stay up late and to rise up early. If you stay up late and rise early, you're seeking to reduce your sleep time because you think you can get more work done. Staying up late and getting up early to get more, more done. It says, don't do that because it says, have your sufficient quota of sleep because it says, the Lord gives to his beloved in his sleep. And you will find when you wake with lesser hours to work, you get more done being fueled and empowered by the Lord God himself. Amen? So let's lift up our hands. I pray, Father, that your peace will be the referee, the umpire, the arbitrator, the governor, the prevailer in our lives. I pray that the Prince of Peace, he who has the power to destroy him who establishes disorder, the Prince of Peace will arise within our hearts 
and literally determine the frequency and the configuration of our entire existence. I pray when issues arise that threaten our internal peace, that we will not give in to it, but that we will defer to the ref and allow the referee to make the decision on our behalf. Your peace, you, God of peace, you are our greatest arbitrator. I pray the peace of God would rule in every heart. Let the peace of God be the governor in every life. I pray for every single one of us, our marriages and all of our relationships will be characterized by the peace of God that passes all human understanding. I pray that righteousness will be at work and the outcome of righteousness will be peace and that joy will abound for the kingdom is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Your peace you give us, not as the world gives. So give us your peace even now. I pray that significant walls of peace will be built around our hearts. It says your peace will guard both our hearts and our minds. I pray our walls of peace, Father, be erected. Help us this week, particularly, in the coming weeks, to be so conscious of this, Father, that nothing, nothing, no person, no event, no circumstance will erode my peace. I will be a person of peace. I will erect powerful walls in my life so that when you look at me, you will say, that man has a future. I can bless. I can restore fortunes. I, I, can, I can give custody over aspects of my will in the earth. Thank you, Prince of Peace, for what you represent to us. Now I decree, Father, come on, lift up your hands. I decree peaceful sleep over every single one of us. I decree, God, that when we do sleep and we lie down, even in the midst of great personal crisis at times, I, I ask that those times be dedicated to you. Pray our sleep times be consecrated to you. I consecrate those times. They are essential parts of our living, and we refuse to give them to the enemy. We take them back even now. And I pray, oh God, every time we lay our head, it will be an expression of our trust, an expression of our confidence in our God. You never sleep. You neither slumber. You are always watching over us 24-7. And in those times when we do lie, Father, lie down, I ask in Jesus' name, give to us. Give to your beloved in our sleep. Rehearse prophecies. Give us hope. Let our spirits be so active, even though our bodies are resting. Let our spirits engage you in a very, very deep and a very, very powerful way. I bless your people with your peace. Now the Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance and the Lord give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.